0: I V M. Folks, welcome to Paisa I'm your host, Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter. And our guest today, Sachin Shah, fund manager, MK Investment. Managers, which is part of MK Global. Really thrilled to have MK with us. They are among the leaders in the Indian financial services sector more than 25 years old. We're going to talk about what's happening in the stock market, what's happening in the PMS industry, and positioning your portfolio in this current environment. Right after this short break. And welcome back. Sajin, welcome to Pesavasa. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Anupam. It's really a pleasure. Uh, and have uh, would like to share as much as we can today possible.
0: Look forward to that, Sachin. So let's start with a brief background on the MK Group, as such, MK Global as it's called, what it does. And of course, on the part that you represent, which is MK Investment Managers Limited.
1: Sure. So, you know, MK Global Financial Services, right? It's more than a 25-year-old firm, you know, founded by two first-generation entrepreneurs, Mr. Krishna Kumar Karwa and Mr. Prakash Kacholia both of them chartered accountants and they started this business as equity broking business and of course within the equity broking business they focused more on the institutional equity broking right and you know obviously to get the institutional investors on your platform to transact uh, the value addition that mk as a firm offered was a very good insights on the research side right So equity research has been the backbone of MK as a group for more than two and a half decades. And, uh, you know, and because our research has been very well, you know, recognized, appreciated by the institutional investors. Today, MK is probably one of the top the institutional broking house for the domestic institutional investors. I think our market share is closer to four percent. And as you know, maximum that's allowed mandatory is not beyond five percent. So we are among the top 10, top 15 brokers. Most of the insurance companies, a lot of foreign institutional investors, a lot of large banks, proprietary, uh, you know, desks, they all you know, do their transactions through MK's uh, terminals. So today, MK has a very, very strong position on the institutional broking side. The backbone of this is of course the research now because research has been uh, the the forte of mk uh, we as a natural extension to a lot of other equity uh, other capital markets businesses mk has spread out itself into other businesses say be it uh, commodities broking be it forex broking be it investment banking be it mk wealth right and then of course also mk investment managers which is what is what i represent and uh, So, MK Investment Managers is also more than a decade-old firm. We are a separate 100% subsidiary of MK Global. And MK Investment Managers is essentially the asset management arm of MK Global. So, we are SEBI registered portfolio managers and we also have the AIF uh, license now. So, we manage discretionary and advisory assets for Indian equities uh, for more than a decade now. And of course, uh, we are a team of almost MK Investment Managers is now a team of more than uh, 15 to 18 people across fund management, research, business development, sales, uh, operations, you know, so on and so forth. Sure. Uh, so that is that is what uh, in a nutshell MK Group is all about.
0: Okay, so let's talk about your clients. You know, the HNI's family offices that probably make the bulk of your client base how have their flows held up so far in your products in the pms naif in especially in these last few months of volatility right
1: so you know actually it's quite interesting that the the investors have not shown any kind of nervousness or any kind of panic in the recent times also so obviously the last two years markets were very good Versus the last six months, I think markets have been a bit jittery. In fact, we have also seen now a decent amount of correction in stock prices across the board, right? Uh, At least 5 to 10% across, maybe a little more also in some of the pockets, right? But very interestingly, I think the investors have been uh, very, very matured, okay, at this point in time, is what I would like to think. Uh, In fact, if at all there have been any inquiries, uh, they have been like, can we increase our allocation to equities? You know, taking the advantage of this weakness in the markets. So you know, the you know one of the very interesting point that that I am actually observing for the last few years now, at least three, four, five years, and it's it's a structural thing to my mind is that the investors are actually uh are far more matured compared to say what i used to interact with them say about a decade back or a decade and a half back say so 15 years back also uh, because at that point in time the investors approach was very transactional right so when i mean tra- when i say transactional what i mean is like they are like let's buy something let's book some profits and that is what they are looking at let let us make some profits right but today when I am interacting with most of my investors and particularly the high net worth individuals, corporate clients, and I think even on the mutual fund side, if you see the way the SIP flows are, I think the whole approach is, is not so much transactional, but it is more of an, as an asset class, right? So everybody is creating an asset class for from equities and you know, they have a goal oriented to it. Somebody might have a retirement planning with that asset. Somebody might have a plan of, uh, say, children's education at after 15, 20 years. Somebody have, might have a plan to pass on this to the next generation. How do we make sure that the wealth that we have created is not, uh, say, doesn't lose its value due to inflation, right? So to keep up to that inflation, they want to invest into an asset class which will at least match the inflation or maybe marginally better. So the whole approach is now a very, very, Asset focused, asset oriented rather than a transaction based. And I think that's a paradigm shift to my mind. When I see see, because these are these are changes which happen very small but on a regular basis, and then they are actually a big structural reform, right? So that is the one thing that I have observed that mm. investors are no more panicking, you know, as long as they believe that they, they want to create equity as an asset class as a part of their savings.
0: Very interesting. So when you say transactional, I'm assuming that what you mean is chasing returns, you know, that what we used to see 10, 15, 20 years ago, that when the market is going up, people come in and when the market is going down, they're not interested in talking at all, which is, I think, fairly normal. You're saying that there's probably a trend shift in that. You think this will sustain? You think that people are now actually recognizing that, you know, the potential, I'm still saying potential because last six months have been weak for equities. But going forward over the longer term, do you think you're seeing your client's Probably even on a broader basis, retail investors believing in equities having the potential to beat um, inflation.
1: I, I think so, Anupam. and And the reason is two, three. Because see, most of the people who have been in equities since 2004, 5, 6, right? Uh, as long as they have stayed along, right? In spite of, say, 2008, nine the global financial crisis. Then in 2011, 12, 13, also we had some commodity challenges, Right. If you see in the very recent times, we had demonetization, we had GST. I'm talking about the local factors. We had COVID, which is a global factor and also a local factor. In spite of all of this, right? If you have been an investor for more than 10 years, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years, and there have been multiple people like that. And it's not that only if you are beneficiary, but if you have benefited, you will talk to 10 other people and people look at it, right? Most of you know have earned at least double digit. Right, and which is significantly higher than your bank fixed deposit rates. Right, just in an apple to apple in terms of if I would have put that money in a bank FD, and if I would have stayed there for seven years doing nothing, if I stay in a equity doing nothing, I still have made about at least 50% to 100% extra over my bank FD. Right, you know, as they say, one and a half to two X over the is my risk premium over the risk free rate. Right. So, if if that is what investors have already tasted that blood, right? Have mm, already mm. experienced that uh, extra returns because of the investing in equities and asset class. So the belief now in equities is there. And that's why, as I said, that the and and you know, and even the numbers are speaking. Like, for example, in spite of the COVID, in spite of DMON, in spite of GST, in spite of the last six months of weakness, the SIP flows are very steady. Yeah. Right. SIP flows continue to be the 10,000 crore rupees a month, which is a very, very decent number to my mind today. 1,20,000 crore on an annual number. Plus you have the insurance money which comes into the market. This is all I'm talking about domestic flows, right? Plus you have some part percentage of EPFOs EPFOs coming into the markets, right? So all of that put together is a good steady about almost 300,000, you know, uh, lakh crores plus number annually basis coming into Indian equities. And this has been there for more than five years now. So the numbers speak itself that the maturity has come into play. And I believe that, uh, and also, you know, the other important thing is that today, uh, when people look around with their Uh, businesses, right? Most of the businesses are actually very busy, right? Uh, Our exports have gone to the roof. GST collections are at one of the highest, right? So all these data points are very clearly uh, suggesting that the the domestic economy is very vibrant. So that feel good factor also gives confidence to investors that the domestic economy seems to be on a growth trajectory. We are into an upcycle So, I think, you know, and I think the last, but not the least, I think also very important, the alternate, right? The alternate avenues to invest are also very limited where you get double-digit returns, Mm -hmm. right? So, all of this has culminated where they are are getting this uh, maturity, I would like.
0: Sure. So before we go into the break, Sachin, I wanted to talk about this trend that I'm seeing in the high net worth side, okay, where, because now we, we are talking about equities, but within equities, there's mutual funds, and then there is what's called as direct equity. So for the h apparently, there's a shift from exiting mutual funds and going into something like a PMS, something like, like an AF. AF, chalo, firby, you know, it's more of an evolved product but as compared to PMS and a different taxation structure also. So what's what's your view on this uh, trend? No,
1: I, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think both PMS and even AI, we are clearly seeing a trend where uh, high net worth individuals, large family offices, okay? Because if you, as we all know that in the last five, 10 years, so many large business houses have actually got sold out, right? And so they would have encashed a lot of cap, know, capital. In fact, a lot of these private equity investors are also kind of uh, getting you know, uh, selling some part of their stakes and they're getting this money from the startups and all of that. right? So from all of this, yes, there is a decent amount of capital uh, with large HR, high net worth individuals, corporates, family offices across. Uh, in our interaction, again, we do echo what you're saying that the, the trend is where they would like to go more bespoke. right? They want it to be much more customized. They want it to be much more personalized. Right. Like for example, just for example, today an a senior executive in an IT firm. Okay, he has tons of esops. Right. And he has obviously capitalized on some of it, but still, maybe 70% of his net worth is in ESOPs. The balance 30% could be a large amount which he needs to invest. Now, when he wants to invest, he wants to make sure of one thing that the balance 30% doesn't go into any IT companies. IT sector because anyways, he's 70% loaded into his network, into one sector. So, he wants to de-risk himself. Now, if he goes into a mutual fund, it's very difficult for him to get that diversification. But if he comes to a PMS, a customized PMS can be created for him where no allocation will be done to IT. right? Or like, for example, there are some large investors, it's, a, it's an individual preference where they say... That, you know, as a family, we don't want to invest into any sinful business. What is sinful is their perception. That is every individual's perception, right? But they may decide that we don't want to be in a tobacco business. We don't want to be in alcohol beverages business, right? And there are going to be multiple of this. So again, that personalization or customization comes into place. So these are some of the factors over and above this. The other very interesting part is in terms of the risk profiling, right? Uh, like for a high individuals, you might say that I have already done my asset allocation quite well. right? Suppose if I have a, a few hundred million dollars of assets, and if I already have 70 75% parked into the fixed income or a risk free kind of a asset, the balance 30%, I want to take a little bit of an extra uh, concentrated kind of a portfolio. Now, in a typical mutual fund, you'll have 50 60 stocks at least. right? Uh, whereas if he wants a concentrated portfolio, like say just 15 stocks. Or 12 stocks, or I want to take a concentrated bet in just five sectors, right? No, those kind of bets are probably only possible under PMS structure and to some extent in the AIF structure, right? So again, for the return expectations that they would like it to be, right? The customization that they can get under PMS is also very important. The third part, which is also one of the very interesting points that we have come across, a lot of high network individuals feel that the kind of the returns that the mutual funds have delivered are not in sync with the fees that they have charged, right? So, for example, today, most of the mutual funds will have a fixed management fee of anywhere between 1% to 2%, 2.5%, irrespective of the incomes, right? Uh, irrespective of the returns that they would have delivered on that year because it's a fixed management fee concept. So, here, the investors feel that they have delivered on an average 10% compounded return. They have charged me 2%. What's the point? You know, I mean, that's an individual perception. But on the PMS side, you can definitely, again, have a customized fee structure where you can link it to performance, where you can link it to a particular hurdle rate. You can link it to an a outperformance of your fund to the benchmark, right? Uh, so, you know, all of these concepts are also very fast evolving within the PMS and the AI structures. So, because of some of these reasons... Uh, Clearly, the large HNI corporate family offices uh, are really structuring a lot of their investments, you know, keeping all of this into their profile and then, uh, you know, investing.
0: Very interesting. So, folks, on that note, we're going to take a small break. When we come back, the real meat of this show, so to say, is Sachin's outlook on the stock markets, on the economy, inflation, interest, all of that on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. And welcome back. Sergeant. now let's get to some crystal ball gazing or whatever. You know, let's on your view. So I'm going to start with stock markets and then go to economy. But let's first start with what's been happening. We are, when we're recording this, we are in the early part of June. May has just gotten over. I think it's a down month. Last, I think, six months, the Nifty Sensex peaked somewhere in October. And since then, we've had this lull, ups and downs, severe ups and downs in the market. Going forward from here, you know, what's your view?
1: You know, Anupam, see, the important thing is that, you know, I think the current weakness that we are seeing in the markets, okay, is clearly flowing from the, the global headlines and the global markets, okay? Uh, you know, because when we see the domestic economy, uh, most of the demand indicators, uh, you know, suggest that a very, very vibrant activity, right, at the ground level. Like our exports, as I mentioned earlier, tax collections, both direct and indirect tax collections. All have been doing well, doing well, right? But you know, it is the challenges with the global supply chains, right? Uh, due to the geopolitical conflicts and uh, you know the and the extended lockdowns uh, that we have seen in in some of the key places in China, uh, which has actually strained the supply of commodities. And, uh, you know, which has kind of bumped up the prices or maybe it's a bit transitory. But yes, at this point in time, we have to, it's, it's very highly inflationary, right? Uh, the other challenge has also been with the, the US Fed and the other central bank, uh, bankers now actually panicking and you know, pressing this interest rate uh, button, right? Uh, so clearly, uh, this was a global headline with, which created a knee-jerk reaction, you know, across bonds, currencies, equities, commodities, you know spooking the global markets across right so you know the important thing is that a positive change either in this global headlines either the some positive news from the the from the geopolitical war side or the supply chains uh, you know getting open up right you know all of that can actually bring back the confidence of the the markets, okay? Because this and this is all global. This is nothing to do with domestic. Because when we look at the domestic side, I mean, we just got done with the the March quarter, you know, results, which is the Q4, and the entire full year results also now we have in front of us for most of the companies. I think more than ninety percent companies would have declared their results by now, right? So we have a very fair uh, understanding of how things have panned out. So most of the results have been very decent. Right. Not only that, when you hear the management commentaries, right, they all are really fairly upbeat. They all are very optimistic for what they are seeing at the ground. Okay, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. all become very cautious when they also look at the global headlines. So what yeah. is happening is all hunky-dory. In fact, you know uh, there was an analyst meet of Infosys just a couple of days back, and again the management has been reiterating that all their customers across vertical, across business verticals, across geographies, everybody is very upbeat in terms of their new businesses, right? Or giving them new orders, right? So, and similarly from across the other IT companies, if you talk to HDFC Bank, also had an analyst meet. Again, there the management was very upbeat about the the uptick in terms of the credit growth, uptick in terms of the deposit mobilization, right? So obviously, They all are doing something right. But the fact is, if there are serious headwinds, they Mm. will also have certain challenges, which at this point in time, none of them are feeling it, right? So the point is that today, it's only the global headlines which is making everyone cautiously optimistic. So everybody is optimistic when they look at their current numbers. But when they look at the global, everyone becomes cautious, right? So once some of these global uh, macros actually, uh, you know, once the war clouds are a bit away from us, once this uh, the supply chains are opened up fully, uh, it's a more of a normal situation, and you know things will actually start uh, cooling off. I mean, today we have also seen a lot of commodity prices actually already cooled off quite a bit. It's probably oil is the only last man standing, which is really still very high, and uh, of course that. That is one factor which really impacts the domestic economy the most. We, we, are, we have to be fairly conscious about that. So, I think that is something what I think once that changes, okay, either the oil prices comes off quite significantly, if it is decisively below $100, say eight, between $85, $90, I think the confidence will come back into the markets, right? And of course, uh, we are also seeing some. Uh, like if you would know that rurals was some bit uh, uh, for slowdown, the rural economy.
0: Yeah, yeah, right? yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, there is some, there is some inflationary trends over there. But, you know, this if these monsoons are, they are predicted to be fairly normal. And if it is really normal, because this will be the third or the fourth consecutive monsoon, which will be good. And generally, when that happens, rural economy tends to, uh, you know, do very, very well. So I think it's a question of maybe a quarter or so. Sure. Most of this, uh, uh, clouds will be out of our way and think the confidence will come back.
0: Sure. So just coming to the domestic economy now, let's forget whatever's happened in FY20, 2021, 20, 22. Going forward from here, do you think um, we've got what it takes to sustain the 7-8% GDP growth? What's, what's your view on the economy?
1: Well, as I said, when, when we look at the ground level, the economy is very, very vibrant. The activity is very, very vibrant. All the macro factors are also clearly indicating us whether it is the cement volumes, whether it is the steel volumes, right? Uh, whether it is the power consumption, right? Both on the industrial and the domestic side, whether it is the consumption of the fuels, which tells you the kind of the business activity that is happening at the ground level, right? So if you look at the freight volumes, right? Both on the railway side and also the road side, the trucks' freight, right? Uh, they all are very busy, right? So what I'm trying to say is that. Uh, most of the macro indicators do suggest, right? Plus, the other very important part is for the other very big kicker that can come into the economy is the, the capex cycle, right? Today, uh, what we are seeing is that uh, many of the industries and particularly within the many of the industries, the top players, the top 5, 7, 10 players, which have a 60, 70, 80% market share are probably currently operating at probably 75% capacity utilizations, Right so it's just a question of time that they will have to start incurring capex now once we get into the positive cycle of the capex the virtuous cycle of capex it again adds to your gdp growth significantly like today if you talk to the textile guys right if they want a new plant machinery if they want a new machinery for the weaving spindles or whatever it is at least a 24 to 30 months waiting right so again wow. uh, you know so from from that perspective i think the capex cycle is at the cusp of getting kicked in right and otherwise, also today, the way we are looking at is the overall manufacturing as a you know from in, in the country is actually uh, going to do very well over the next three to five years. Uh, whether it is the China plus one factor, because today uh, many of the industries where India has proven its skills in terms of the precision engineering or in terms of the quality side or in terms of the scale so whether it is textiles, whether it is auto ancillaries, whether it is specialty chemicals, whether it is pharma. Whether it is uh, you know IT, all of these industries, wherever we have seen that Indian uh, industry has actually uh, uh, delivered right uh, quality and scale, the global customers are really looking to de-risk themselves uh, from countries like China and to to convert to you know to source some bit of their uh, requirements from India. Now that again is going to really help. In terms of driving our GDP growth, today exports are already at 420 billion dollars, which is like I think in the after five, six, seven years, many years, I am seeing that we have a high double-digit growth, and it seems like it's going to sustain from here on also. So you know all these factors clearly suggest that probably we are into a multi-year uh, high growth era, at least for next three to four years.
0: Got it. So let's wind up this episode now, Sachin, with a bit of discussion. See, I mean, inflation and interest rates are linked, and I think where we are right now, probably the market is factoring, factoring in about 100 to 150 bips of rate hikes coming in in India for the rest of this year. Hopefully, out of which 40 bips is already done in the previous policy meet. That was actually it was an out of policy meet where we had the interest rate side. So let's talk about sectors. And how you're positioned in them, which ones do you like, which ones do you want to avoid in this era of rising inflation and, or rather, let's assume that it's stable, inflation and interest rates.
1: Right. When we look at the the demand side, right, when we look at the, the balance sheet of some of the sectors, when we look at the valuations of some of the sectors, I think at this point in time, markets are very interestingly poised because, you know, when I see each of the sectors, okay, Uh, some of the key sectors rather, say banking, say uh, autos, say uh, IT, say pharma, right? These four or five sectors are probably maybe 70-75% weight of the entire Nifty, okay? Because banking is almost 35-40%, IT is another 15%, pharma is another 7-8%, auto is another 6-7%, right? So all of this put together is closer to about 70-75% kind of weight across the board, right? Now, if you look at each of the leaders in each of these sectors, right? So, banking where you will have, say, within the private sector banking, you will have HDFC Bank and I say, say Bank, right? In IT, if you have Infosys of the world, right? Say within a Pharma, you will have companies like, say, you know, Steves and Sun Pharma, right? Uh, in Autos, you will have companies like, say, Maruti, or say aishan motors within the two wheels and those kind of so each of the leaders in each of these sectors today uh, if you look at their balance sheets okay they are very very strong right second if you look at the kind of demand outlook commentary that the managements have given us they all again look very very strong right and then third if you look at the valuations right all of them have, have you know corrected quite a bit in the in the recent times Uh, Because of obviously the technical reasons is what I would like to believe because of the large FII selling that we've seen over this period. And FIIs have a very significant holding in some of these businesses. So today the valuations of a lot of these companies have become very, very reasonable. So to my mind that some of these leaders uh, in each of these sectors uh, today offer a very, very decent uh, investment opportunity.
0: Great. So, if I've got you right, you said you were looking at banking, looking at IT, looking at pharma, looking at autos, if I've broadly understood Absolutely you. Right, right. right. Yes, yes. Right. And Absolutely. within them, the larger cap or the market leaders, as you say, seem to be reasonably well positioned. Absolutely right. Yes. Fantastic. Folks, so there you go. Economic uh, growth expected to sustain going forward. Global factors should hopefully cool things off maybe in a few quarters, maybe more than that, we don't know. And then hopefully the resumption in the stock market should continue. sachin does that summarize our discussion so far? Sure. Thank you. Great. So folks, with that, that's a wrap on this episode of Pesa I' My guest, sachin Shah, fund manager, MK Investment Managers, part of MK Global. sachin thank you. Really, thank you so much for doing this for our listeners.
1: Thank you. Thank you
0: very much. And listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Pesa Besa. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm your host, Anupam Gupta, b fifty two on Twitter. And thank you. Really, thank you so much, folks, for listening to Pesa Besa.